Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In this episode, we go over the topic of protein folding and degradation from the biochemistry section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this topic with a discussion about protein folding. In terms of an overview, protein folding is required for a protein to achieve a proper tertiary protein structure. It involves heat shock proteins, or HSP. This is essential for normal protein folding. Some HSPs function as chaperones, and some function as chaperonins. The more mutated a protein, the more help it needs from chaperones. If a protein is not folding properly, a chaperone may send it directly for degradation. Let's now talk about the clinical relevance of protein folding. The pathogenesis of the disease cystic fibrosis involves 3-nucleotide deletion on chromosome 7. In this condition, the delta F508 mutation in the chloride channel, or CFTR, decreases the stability of the protein and increases folding time. So instead of insertion into the plasma membrane, the protein is degraded in the Golgi apparatus. A decreased chloride conductance results in decreased sodium and chloride reabsorption in sweat glands. In terms of clinical presentation, there would be decreased water content of mucus, which results in a thick mucus that cannot be cleared. This results in respiratory infections, nasal polyps, malabsorption, meconium ileus, and biliary cirrhosis. Let's now talk about chaperones in more detail. There are two types of chaperones, the HSP70 and the HSP90. HSP70 associates directly with the ribosome and it hides the hydrophobic regions of protein to allow for proper folding. Note that in this process, ATP hydrolysis is required. HSP70 is essential. HSP90 is used for fewer proteins than HSP70. This also requires ATP hydrolysis, is essential, and its role is folding mutant proteins in cancer. Let's now talk about chaperonins in more detail. These are divided into group 1 and group 2 chaperonins. Group 1 involves the HSP60. It is ring-shaped, requires ATP hydrolysis, also called GROEL or GROES or GROEL or GROES in prokaryotes, involves peptide chain that enters the cage and it is capped, and once folded, the cap is removed and the protein is released. Group 2 chaperonins involve TRI-C or TRIC or CCT. These are composed of eight HSP60s. They have a similar function to GROEL or GROES and are required for folding of actin and tubulin. Let's now talk about protein degradation in more detail. Ubiquitination is the cell's mechanism to mark a protein for destruction. In terms of the mechanism, it involves several copies of ubiquitin added to a misfolded or unneeded protein. Polyubiquinated protein enters the proteosome, and the protein is hydrolyzed into peptide fragments. Let's now talk about defects in destruction of misfolded proteins. Note that the inability to send degraded proteins to the proteosome results in accumulation in the endoplasmic reticulum. The main example of this is alpha-antitrypsin or AAT deficiency. This is normally synthesized by hepatocytes and exocytosed into the circulation. It inhibits proteases. In AAT deficiency, misfolded anti-1-antitrypsin accumulates in the endoplasmic reticulum and damages hepatocytes. This presents as PAS-positive granules. 
Note that in many genetic variations, the MC are Z and S variants due to point mutations. They involve codominant allelic expression. In terms of presentation, it would present with micronodular cirrhosis and fibrosis. You would diagnostically test this with PCR. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A nine-year-old boy is brought to his primary care physician after his mom noticed that he was limping. He says that he has been experiencing significant hip and knee pain over the last two months, but thought he may have just strained a muscle. Radiographs show a collapse of the femoral head, and he is diagnosed with leg calvapertes disease. He undergoes surgery and is placed in a petri cast from his hips to his toes bilaterally so that he is unable to move his knees or ankles. Eight weeks later, the cast is removed and he is found to have significantly smaller calves than before the cast was placed. Which process in myocytes is most likely responsible for this finding? 1. Decreased formation of double membrane-bound vesicles. 2. Increased formation of double membrane-bound vesicles. 3. Inhibition of gene transcription. 4. Monoubiquitination of proteins. Or 5. Polyubiquitination of proteins. And the correct answer choice is answer choice 5, polyubiquitination of proteins. This patient who experienced prolonged immobilization in a petri cast most likely has disuse atrophy of his calf muscles. Disuse atrophy is associated with degradation of cytosolic proteins after polyubiquitination. Remember, ubiquitin is a common cytosolic protein that can be covalently attached to the lysine residues of other proteins. When a single ubiquitin is attached to a protein, the marker can indicate that the protein activity should be modified. For example, monoubiquitination is often the signal for activated receptors to be endocytosed. In contrast, polyubiquitination signals that the covalently modified protein should be targeted to and degraded by the proteosome. This is a common mechanism by which cells can degrade excess proteins in the setting of disuse atrophy. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1, decreased formation of double membrane-bound vesicles would indicate decreased levels of autophagy in this patient's muscles. However, this would result in increased protein abundance rather than the decrease seen in atrophy. Answer choice 2, increased formation of double membrane-bound vesicles would indicate increased levels of autophagy in this patient's muscles. However, the primary mechanism underlying protein degradation and atrophy is polyubiquitination rather than autophagy. Autophagy is mostly used in situations of energy starvation. Answer choice 3, inhibition of gene transcription can occur during infection or as a cell cycle checkpoint control mechanism. However, polyubiquitination is the major mechanism underlying protein degradation in atrophy. And finally, answer choice 4, monoubiquitination of proteins leads to regulation of protein function rather than bulk degradation of proteins. In summary, polyubiquitination of cytosolic proteins leads to degradation and is seen in muscle atrophy. Next question. A 36-year-old man presents to his primary care physician because of shortness of breath. He is an office worker who has a mostly sedentary lifestyle. However, he noticed that recently he feels tired and short of breath when going on long walks with his wife. 
He also has had a hacking cough that seems to linger, though he attributes this to an upper respiratory tract infection he had two months ago. He has diabetes that is well controlled on metformin and has smoked one pack per day for 20 years. Physical exam reveals a large-chested man with wheezing bilaterally and mild swelling in his legs and abdomen. The cause of this patient's abdominal and lower extremity swelling is most likely due to which of the following processes? 1. Damage to kidney tubules. 2. Defective protein folding. 3. Excessive protease activity. 4. Hyperplasia of mucous glands. Or 5. Smoking-associated dysfunction. And the correct answer choice is answer choice 2, defective protein folding. This young patient with findings consistent with emphysema as well as lower extremity and abdominal swelling most likely has alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, which causes liver dysfunction due to defective protein folding. Remember, alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency is caused by mutations in the gene leading to abnormal protein folding in the liver and accumulation in endoplasmic and recycling compartments. Prolonged accumulation of the abnormally folded protein leads to liver dysfunction that can be either mild, marked by swelling and abdominal pain, or severe, marked by jaundice, cirrhosis, and ascites. Furthermore, since alpha-1 antitrypsin is a major inhibitor of proteases, excessive protease activity can cause lung damage leading to emphysema. This pattern will be concentrated in alveoli near the lung bases where blood flow is the highest. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice one, damage to kidney tubules can lead to edema due to loss of albumin. However, kidney tubular damage would not explain the signs of emphysema seen in this patient. Answer choice three, excessive protease activity is responsible for the lung damage seen in alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. However, it is not the mechanism by which liver damage occurs or accumulation of abnormally folded protein in hepatocytes. Answer choice four, hyperplasia of mucous glands can lead to chronic bronchitis causing shortness of breath. However, this patient's symptoms are more consistent with emphysema concentrated in the alveoli of the lower lobes. And finally, answer choice five, smoking can cause emphysema. However, this patient's young age and relatively low pack year history along with findings of swelling is more consistent with alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. In summary, liver damage in alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency is caused by mutations in the protein that lead to accumulation of abnormally folded proteins in the endoplasmic reticulum. And that's all for this review about protein folding and degradation. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from these MedBullets Step 1 podcasts so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 1 podcast.